It's a wonderful night in Minneapolis, July 2017. I am Frank, and this is the Minnesota Skinny, episode 42. I'm at Fulton Brewing in the North Loop in Minneapolis. Just got here from Tulabi, where both my interviews for this week's show took place. Uh, two tables down here, though. There are like seven or eight people staring at me as I do this introduction. Uh, got to admit, I'm getting pretty excited for one of them to come over and tell me how I should do my podcast. They probably use the same mic as me for some bullshit. Probably same audio program. My audio program's free, so I get that a lot. And my favorite, they'll tell me they should be a guest on my show. I don't need any more guests, though. I'm good this week. Last week, maybe. But this week, no. This week, our Summer Drinking Apple series introduces us to a group of cider makers who began their company as part of a project at the University of Minnesota. Jason Dayton, one half of the team behind Lionheart Cider, broke it all down. The college class that got it all started, the English influences on both his tastes and the progression of his company, and their big plans for the future. These guys are only like 25, so they're just getting started. They have a rhubarb cider at Tullaby that... You know what? Don't even drink it unless you want to love it so much that you wind up drinking like six, then you stumble down Washington Avenue, wind up on stage with a band. Anyhow... The company name of their Facebook page changed today to Minneapolis Cider Company. At the time of this interview, though, they were still named Lionheart Cider. That rhubarb cider, I'm happy to inform you, still delicious. That's crazy that people get that excited for rhubarb. Minnesotans, <laughs> they love their rhubarb. Like we've had, we've had plenty of accounts that they haven't even tried it, don't even know what it costs yet, and, and they're just like, just like Fuck yeah, rhubarb. rhubarb, we're getting it. I reunited with Sarah Meyer of Ben Paddle, also at Tulaby. Minnesota's premier beer party is next weekend, all pints north, in my hometown of Duluth, Minnesota. I've never been to this beer festival, and I'm not going again this year. But she's got stories. She shared some treasured memories from last year, previewed this year, and talked about being local to Duluth and helping this beer festival grow. It's a huge presence, both among Minnesota and regionally, and locally it behooves them to keep this event moving forward, getting bigger, getting stronger, having the one cab driver's private phone number. It's important. Sarah discussed the changing strategies down here in the Twin Cities. She said tap takeovers like the ones you see advertised at your favorite bar don't hold the weight they used to, and that forces a brewery's sales team to adapt. She talked about how she does that and one of the big events she's got coming up. I have a website, minnesotaskinny.com. You can follow the Minnesota Skinny on all relevant social media platforms. Just search for the handle at MNSkinny. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and almost anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Sarah Meyer is the second interview. We're going to hustle over to Tula B where Jason Dayton starts by telling me about his house. We were randomly perusing Zillow, which is dangerous for any young married couple. Um, we requested to go see two houses, which were both pretty bad. And Realtor took us around. Neither of these were good. He said, all right, we'll go do one more. Got one more for you guys. We walked in. Um, well, first we, first we walked up to it. It's bright yellow on the outside. It's got holes from woodpeckers. Um, trees are falling over. We walk in, it's got, um, like, law office railings right in the middle of the living room. And my wife says immediately, like, this is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But she looked at that and said it was perfect. She said this was perfect. She she said it's got nothing but potential. Um, Can we have another Lionheart as well? Sure. I'll let you serve it. Thanks so much. 
Yeah, she said she said this house has nothing but potential. Got great opportunity. Um, go into the kitchen. It's got bright orange countertops, orange floor. Um, dishwasher didn't work. Uh, go into one of the bedrooms. We've got this just bad red shag carpeting, orange shag carpeting in another one. Neither of the toilets worked in the house. Um, but that being said, it was been on the market for months. It had a big yard. It had a finished basement with high ceilings, um, and we got it for like twenty thousand dollars less than list price. Wow! So, so just paint it. And you're good to go. So that's exactly. So we so we ripped out the carpet. We ripped out the railings. We painted it all gray. Put in some furniture, and um, you know, you, you sort of if you get smells in your house, you become nose blind. I've just slowly become eye blind to the to the orange <laughs> countertops and the orange floor. Oh, they're still there. Do they match? Is they do match. match. They do match. They were they were original, so that's good at least. Um, a couple who lived in this house just just did nothing to it. It's gonna grow on you. You're gonna end up keeping it. Yeah, well, so that's the advice we've got from from like our parents. Is they're like, well, it's gonna come back. Twenty year cycles, right? So oranges, oranges on is on its way coming back. So hold on to it. You're gonna be glad you have it. Meanwhile, I'm looking like, well, if we take a sledgehammer, this probably isn't a structural wall. Looks, I went upstairs. It looks like it's not a structural wall. We could just knock this wall down. We'll open it up. It'll be great. <laughs> well, and you know, like we were saying, is that we we ripped out that red carpeting. Um, so our first project, we ripped out the red carpeting, and we can't afford to replace it yet. So, <laughs> small business owner, maybe we shouldn't start knocking down walls in our house that we can't afford to fix yet. <laughs> wait, we'll wait a little bit. <laughs> Lionheart Cider. Did I, did I read this right? This started as a college project. Yeah. Tell me the story. So, um, so it's interesting. So, uh, you know, first of all, my business partner and I, uh, myself and David O'Neill, um, we had both spent time studying in the UK. Um, didn't know each other at the time, but both kind of had this experience in the UK where prior to that, we weren't necessarily really drinking craft beer. We were 20 at the time. Um, we both really kind of fell in love with cider and started drinking and enjoying it there. Uh, Dave tells this great story of being at a bar and sitting next to a guy who was in the military and he's drinking a pint of cider. And Dave's like, "Are you, really? I mean, is that not kind of a girly thing? And he's like, absolutely not. And just stern face, straight. Um, and we both started to kind of experience what the cider culture in the UK is and how, how jarringly different that is from the US. Um, so we come back home still don't know each other at this time, um, I met my wife, whose father was born and raised in Southwest England. Um, He was born on a farm, um, worked on a farm as a teenager. They would, you know, take apples, crush them, put it in a barrel, leave it in the back for six months, and eventually you'd have booze. Um, You know, that's that's what cider is. Apples just naturally want to turn into alcohol. Um, So, they uh, basically converted their basement into an industrial kitchen for homebrewing. And so he's been making 12, 13% cider in the basement. So when I started dating her, started just came back from England, started drinking her father's cider, said, this is great. Got into homebrewing um, with her father, so my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, um, got into making it. And then about six months after that, we had an opportunity at the university where we could we joined a program called Entrepreneurship in Action, and basic premise is if you give students an opportunity to start a real business, they're going to learn a lot more through that process than just doing case studies. 
So this program was started 10 years ago um, by a professor named John Stavig. Uh, he pitched the university, I want to give students $15,000 to start a business. Each? Um, each group. Okay. So, so the first year, it was one group for the entire class. And the university said, you're insane. We're not going to give 21-year-olds 15 grand to go start a business. Uh, and he said, well, I'll finance it and back it myself then. No shit. And so he, he personally signs on those loans to give students the opportunity to go out and start those business. Um, and he's been doing that for 10 years. And, you know, people who are alums of the class help contribute for the businesses that don't work. The businesses that are successful um, are able to pay back the loans through the class. And then um, for a business like ours and a few others that have come out over the course of the years, uh, they go on to be successful in the future. And the university nor professor takes any interest in the business or equity, um, just doing it as an experience to help students learn. Any other notable businesses come out of that? That we'd know about? Yeah, so the Minnesota Brewery Passport, uh, Northern Ale Guide, if you're familiar with those guys? I've heard of it, yeah. Yep, so they came out of it the year after us. Um, and so they're doing a brewery passport, BOGOs at a bunch of local breweries. Um, and so it's been really cool to see their success. There was another company that did a print magazine. Um, they did really well for a couple years. Uh, most of the businesses are significantly smaller in scale. Um, print magazines, Northern Ale Guide, things like that than what we did. Yeah. Um, we, or I, I famously stood in front of a PowerPoint site at one point and said, uh, cider is easy. This was about September in the year. And I thought that I could basically do a slightly enlarged homebrew scale for $2,500 and have product in stores by Christmas. It's gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a, a holiday package. It's gonna be a nice glass and a nice bottle. Foolproof. It was gonna be wonderful. It was gonna cost twenty five hundred dollars. Um, so that clearly didn't work. We we tried to work with a uh, a farm winery in Minnesota to to essentially do that idea, and it didn't end up working out. We. They weren't familiar. We didn't know what we were doing at all at the time. Um, and so that failed miserably. We then started looking for uh, co-packers, essentially. We realized we didn't have nearly enough money to build a facility. We didn't really know what we were doing at the time either. Um, so we needed to find somebody who could kind of help us on that journey. Um, and so through a variety of ways, we found a gentleman by the name of Bruce Nissen, who was actually... Uh, the head cider maker for Crispin for a time period. Oh, wow. So Crispin was founded by Joe Heron in Minneapolis. Um, they were co-packing at Bruce's place, which was Fox Barrel Cider in Colfax, California. They eventually bought Fox Barrel. Bruce came on board, worked in Crispin. They sold it to Miller. Bruce moved up to Washington and uh, started making a new brand out there and doing a co-packing facility. And so we were able to get connected with them through a few other folks. Um, get our products formulated, figure out how we actually wanted to take this homebrew recipe, make it you know several thousand gallons at a time, get a can design, find can suppliers, go through all of these processes, um, and then work with Bruce to actually get it manufactured. But that means we're also making it in Washington State right now and shipping it all back to Minnesota. Um, we don't sell in Washington because the goal has always been to open a facility here of our own and we didn't want to have to turn around and start shipping it the other direction. How's that progress coming? Um, slow. Um, 
you know, I think one thing that I mean, it's 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 going well, but it's challenging. Real estate is is awful. Um, I've talked to a couple of the other local brewery owners who have recently opened, and real estate is a challenge. And you know, I got very lucky in the house search, so I think I'm paying for it a bit in the real estate part of it. Um, we're working through a lease negotiation process right now. Um, we've got a building that we think will work out, but we'll see. There's still a lot between there and the finish line. So let's rewind a little bit. How did you and David meet up? We actually met as part of that class program. Okay. So I, day one, um, students were supposed to essentially come with business ideas to pitch. So I started pitching cider. It wasn't necessarily that hard to get a bunch of 21-year-olds involved in an alcohol company. People were generally excited about that idea. Um, Dave, actually, though, was not one of those folks who just jumped on board. He um, went off and started a different project for a while and probably did that for about two or three months and then eventually came over to the cider project as well. And he's been a great partner. Um, we're, we're really well-balanced, essentially. We like to use kind of a hop balloon metaphor. So I'm sitting there turning up the gas all the time, and he's throwing the sandbags in. <laughs> he manages the money, and I'm the ambitious one who decides we're going to go out and raise a bunch of cash and build a facility. So it, it works out really well between the two of us. Between the two of you, what's a skill you wish one of you two had? That one of us... You know, I think the, the biggest downfall that we've had from time to time is um, marketing. And so we brought in additional people to help us with that. Actually... Uh, Dave's fiance is is heading up our marketing. Uh, Taylor's been a great addition to the team because one of the things that we realized in the cider market, we're not our own target market. Cider is a lot of 22 to 35 year old females, um, young professionals, um, you know, people who spend a lot of time on Instagram, essentially, <laughs> and Pinterest, and we don't. I mean. We post on social media for the business, but if you go to either of our own social media posts, you'll see like three posts a year. Uh, so bringing, well, it's hard to post as a business and as a person. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with that. I struggle with it. Well, we we it's just never been one of our strong suits. So bringing Taylor on board has been a great addition to the team in that um, she is our target market, and so as we're if we were to build a brand ourselves and build this facility by ourselves we'd, we'd build it for what we'd like and that's not necessarily who our consumer is um, so it's really great to kind of have her input um, and she's been a great addition to the team to bring her on on a more regular basis legend has it you were in the UK studying came back and tried some American ciders after that you're kind of like meh yeah, I mean, so it's a it's a completely different culture about cider in the UK. Um, one of the things that you know is most amazing um, in the UK is, is just kind of the understanding and the development of the market. So if you're going into a bar in the UK and you know you are asking for a cider, you're generally going to ask for a dry, a sweet, a medium, a hop, and people are going to understand what that is. And here in the US, cider is sweet. And when we first got into cider, before we were ever really making it, when we had had these great ciders in the UK, we came back and, you know, we don't need to necessarily name names, but we had the big ones and they were sweet and they were sugary um, and they would just give you gut rot and you grab a six pack of it and you're like, I cannot drink all of this. You know, and that's not to say that sweet ciders are bad. There's a place for it. It just wasn't necessarily what we like to drink. 
Um, and so it was tough until just the last couple of years to actually really find a variety of style of ciders. Unless you really know what you're looking for and you go to some of the more craft beer stores or the larger accounts, it can still be challenging to find you know, more than just a handful of brands of cider on the shelf. So when did you guys get incorporated and you were on the shelves? Uh, first, first cider hit the market July 14th, 2015. Oh, wow. So you're going on two years now. Mm-hmm. We'll be coming up on two years. Um, we kind of came out came out rocking that first year. It was a great story. Um, we, we had originally decided that we were going to have a nice, slow rollout, um, try to manage that growth, do the intelligent thing. Um, we were in 140 stores in our first two weeks. Holy and smokes. we had promised every store that did a certain um, buy a sampling. <laughs> and like meanwhile, we had never we had never managed a sampling. We had never done a sampling before. We we had no idea. Uh, so we had a pretty. So we did 140 in one day. It was fun. Yeah, right. Five exactly. Everybody was everybody was thrilled with us. Um, <laughs> so that was that was probably one of the most challenging things that we had immediately when we launched is. We just kept getting these lists of account after account after account after account that we had to go schedule a sampling at. We just had no way of no way of doing it. It took us months to get through that initial list. So if everything's coming from Washington, how is it moving that quickly? Um, it was a great it was a great first launch. I mean, people were excited to see a new cider on the market. They were excited to see the story. It's it's a pretty unique flavor profile too as well. It's got a nice. Um, aromatic to it. It's got a nice kind of perceived sweetness, but it's really light on the body. It's really clean, easy drinking. Um, the market responded really well to it, and we sold out of that first batch um, within six weeks. And then another challenge of being a new small business, we had a two-week period where we were out of stock. Oh, no. So not only did we not get everybody their, their sampling, now we couldn't get them products. Um, you know, so it was definitely a trial by fire when we first launched. Was there kind of a need to rebound from that, or were people pretty understanding? Uh, there was definitely there was definitely some rebound work in that. I think we've gone, we've been through our fair share of bumps in the road, um, but it's been a learning experience. And so one of the things that has been really great that the way we did it, as opposed to some other brands, is we didn't start by investing a million dollars in a facility. Um, you know, let's say after that six weeks, everybody had said, we're not interested, goodbye. You know, we were no worse for wear at that point. And so we've really been able to take the last two years to really understand how this industry works, build a brand, build a following, um, build our own knowledge so that as this new facility comes along, now we're going to have challenges of production, we're going to have our taproom demands. We're going to have everything else juggling in that. At least we have a better understanding of how to really work inside this industry um, and you, be successful. When you say build your own knowledge, how crucial is it to do that when you're in a situation as unique as you guys are? As far as... Everything. Yeah. I mean, with any small business owner, um, you don't... you. You can't always just go to somebody else. I mean, you know, when you're working in the corporate world, there's usually somebody you can call. Um, as a small business, the buck stops with you at the end of the day. Yeah. And it's we've been burned from time to time. Right? We've had our own fair set of challenges. Um, you know, when we launched into the market originally, we were 
we underpriced ourselves into the point that we thought that volume could make up for margin and we were just losing money constantly. And you know, one of the examples of that is we went through a price increase and we didn't necessarily go about it in the right way and didn't carry that message. Um, we were gonna go out of business if we had the old pricing. You know, and this new pricing, it was tough for people. And so it was one of those challenges that you just have to go through some of these experiences. They're good to go through. They're good to go through early on in the business. Um, and that's prepared us and put us in a lot better position that as we're going forward, we'll know how to handle these challenges. We'll know how to grow the brand as we add new distributors, as we add new territories, things like that. Um, you know, we've been through this process on a smaller scale. Speaking of smaller scale, take me into your basement setup. First off, whose basement were you first making cider in? Was it your father-in-law? It was my it was my father-in-law's basement. Yep. What'd that setup look like? So we, so they already had a bunch of carboys at that point. Um, we probably went out and bought another twelve, so we probably had about twenty carboys sitting in the basement. Jeez. You know, five gallon, six and a half gallon carboys, um, and that first R and D batch that we did. We went to Menards and we bought one of those big, uh, like 65 gallon plastic totes. Um, we washed it out well, stuck it in the back of my Subaru, and drove down to Lake City to Pepin Heights and just like literally pumped it into the back of my car. And it was it was pretty rough getting back. Um, filled up all of those filled up all of those carboys and and went to it and did a first fermentation. Um, you know, at a time that we really didn't know what we were doing. We had done some good fermentations and some bad fermentations, so, uh, you know, sort of the inspiration for Lionheart, I would say, came out of that first fermentation, um, but we definitely had some some pretty rough cider in there, too, as well. When did you and David decide, you know what, we're, we're going in on this, we're making a business of this, like, this isn't school anymore, like, we're really going in? Yeah, I think once... So, I, I would like to think that I had that idea... September 2014, as soon as I pitched that first, we're going to do cider for $2,500. Um, it became very real once we launched into the market, though. Okay. That's that's kind of really when the world changed, and we said, look, we've spent a lot of money getting to here. We've got to pay back this loan. Um, this is a real business opportunity. There's a great response to the product in the market. Uh, and so I got married in August of that year, and then in the middle of September, I quit my cushy corporate well-paid job with benefits to start doing Lionheart full-time. So how old were you guys at the time? Uh, we were 22. What'd your parents think? <laughs> um, you know, the bigger... the You know, I think they've always been supportive on it, honestly. They've, they've been thinking it's an exciting project and great you're young and taking the opportunity. Um, the bigger challenge was, you know, I was a young married man, I think 23, 23 at that point. Um... And here I was quitting a, a stable corporate job to go off and do the, do this new business. And, you know, that was that was tough. My wife's been incredibly supportive. I could not give her enough credit for making this business successful from behind the scenes. Um, you know, I was going through Google Photos the other day, and she's been at so many events, standing with a Lionheart shirt behind the table, pouring and sampling, um, you know, the weeks where there weren't paychecks um, you know the challenges that have come along the way she's been there absolutely every step of the way and deserves a lot of credit but it's been it's been hard I mean I think all small businesses are like that you know, they're, they're tough 
Does she even like your cider? She does. It's it's quite funny. So I would I would appreciate myself as a general connoisseur of cider. I'll go into a bar and you know if they don't have us on tap, I'll order somebody else's cider, and I generally enjoy it. And she's always quite funny. She's like, oh, why are you getting that? Your Lionheart's so much better. You should you shouldn't even be buying that. You should they should have Lionheart here instead. Um, so yeah, she's been she's been really supportive of it. The one they got told me is that the original. This is the rhubarb. Okay. This is rhubarb. So this was the um, second product we launched. Came out the beginning of this year in draft only. Um, we we had had the original originally in cans. Um, then we added draft about six months after that initial launch. Uh, really wanted to get into something new. It's challenging without owning your own facility, um, just because there's not necessarily a way to try it one keg at a time. Um, you essentially have to go out and make X number of gallons to meet that facility's minimum order quantity and hope people like it. Um, the rhubarb one, though, what we actually did was St. Paul Summer Beer Festival uh, in 2016. We were trying to figure out something to do. We didn't have... We wanted something else. We've been doing infusions with our Randall a lot. And so what we ended up doing was literally... We've been playing with some rhubarb puree. Literally mix some Lionheart Original with a rhubarb puree in... A homebrew keg, um, carved it up, did the literal like shake it, rock it back and forth on the floor <laughs> that morning. Didn't have it on any of the menus, but we're like, let's try this, let's see what happens. Do it live. Right, we'll see, we'll see where this goes. And the idea of rhubarb, I don't even think that would taste that great, or that it tasted all that much like rhubarb. But the idea of rhubarb got so people so excited that we kicked that keg in less than an hour. That's crazy that people get that excited for rhubarb. Minnesotans. <laughs> They love their rhubarb. Like we've had, we've had plenty of accounts that they haven't even tried it, don't even know what it costs yet, and, and they're just like, like Fuck yeah, rhubarb. "Rhubarb, we're getting it." How many products you got on the market now? Just the two. Okay. So we've got the original, which is a semi-dry medium cider. Um, then we have the rhubarb as well. Rhubarb's draft only, and then the originals in uh, packaging and kegs. Oh, excuse me, Matt. Sorry, sorry, I was reporting. So, oh, may I have a may I have a line card? Sure. On the website, you mentioned emergency meetings, late nights, and bad batches. Tell me about an emergency meeting. So, I think the one that probably stands out most to us, um, more than anything else, and I don't know that we've ever told this story necessarily publicly before, but first batch of cider we're producing commercially um we we didn't necessarily go out there because we had spent all of our money on making it and paying for it and at that time we figured like we don't necessarily know what we're doing hopefully you know we sent them products you know they're going to match to that and we'll be good um so they sent us back a sample can thankfully they didn't can the whole batch we first thing we did was go drop four of these off at our distributor because they had wanted to try the product we took, we took a couple of them home, cracked them open, poured them in a bottle, and we're like, hmm, this, this isn't right. This isn't, but we, but we tried to convince ourselves that it'd be okay. And, you know, we're like, this isn't, you know, this isn't where we wanted to be, but okay, we'll see if this goes. Next um, afternoon, we get a call from our distributor at the time saying, look guys, this isn't what I, we had tried before. Um, we got to figure something out. We can't do this. And so we were about to make 1,200 cases of this product. 
And so that was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. By 6.30, I was on a plane to Washington. Whoa! And it was, it was, I was sitting in a Starbucks, I remember it really well, I got that phone call. I was sitting across from my wife at the time, and I was like, I need, I need to go. That's like a Cousin Abby, you hear that, Doug? I'm coming to London! <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I need to go, yeah, it's just, I need to go right now, immediately, this cannot win. Booked the first ticket I could get, um, hopped on a plane, uh, had to fly through Phoenix overnight, ended up getting into Washington about 5 o'clock in the morning, had convinced the owner there, Bruce, to come into the cidery on a Saturday, and, you know, I think that's really where it transformed from, this is fun, we've been homebrewing, and this is kind of like a business project, to, we're cider makers now, um, you know, we are, we are head-to-toe covered in sticky juice and cider, and we worked with it all day until we got it to a point that we were happy, packaged that up, um, got it in can, sent it home, and that's Lionheart Original. Um, and it was it was a couple it was a couple tweaks to the recipe that just needed to be made, um, and you know there it was an interesting time, but definitely the scariest point in the whole business. This rhubarb is nice, by the way. Now, yeah, I mean, so what we did on this, um, it's a semi-dry cider, so it's a medium cider, and essentially what we do is post fermentation, plow a ton of rhubarb puree into it. Um, we wanted to keep that bitterness some of that astringency to it, a little bit of the sourness, but not have the sweetness that you typically expect from, like, a cherry rhubarb or a strawberry rhubarb. Um, so, you know, people don't necessarily always know that it's rhubarb in that first taste, unless you tell them, but really good, clean, and it's done It's done really well for us. Um, people have really liked it and really enjoyed it. Tell me about a late night. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I would say weekly. Uh, <laughs> myself and Dave have have this knack for doing eight-hour meetings starting at eight o'clock. Eight-hour meetings. Yeah, it's. Oh my God, I have thirty-minute meetings <laughs> at work, and I'm just over it. Yeah, you know, I'm so checked out after thirty minutes. When it's a, when it's a passion project and it's your business, I mean, much to the to this may occasionally of our significant others. Um, been plenty of times where we've had meetings till three o'clock in the morning. Uh, what are you guys he's talking about. There's a lot when there's just two of you running a business. Uh, I suppose. Um, we occasionally go in circles and off on tangents too, as well. <laughs> I mean, I would say if we're guilty of anything, it's talking in circles from time to time. Um, but so he's working another full-time job, and then I'm working full-time on Lionheart. Uh, so that's really our time to come together, focus, get work done, um, move the business forward, and. You know, for us, it's been just rolling challenges and rolling advancement in the business. It was, you know, we had to get this product made, the brand design, get it in package, get it launched, manage uh, the distributor, manage that sales, production, and then pretty soon after that, we started this process of, we're going to build a cidery. Um, and so, for the last 18 months, it's been, you know, one thing after another, um, whether that's real estate, financing, capital raise, anything else like that of, you know, getting the cidery project going. So what's next on the horizon for you guys? Uh, primarily getting this getting the cidery up and running. So okay. we're hoping to get a lease, lease finalized on that pretty shortly. Um, after that comes, it's going to be finalizing the capital raise, the financing, the bank, the equipment ordering, construction, uh, 
you know, all the fun that comes with trying to build a physical business. Um, and, you know, so it's a really exciting time time for us, too, as well. And it's challenging with only two people and one person working full-time to balance. We still have this market demand that we need to support and make sure we're doing all of the work that we have been doing to grow the brand and keep the sales going, keep the accounts happy, um, and then also you know, build this facility, do all the steps that come up to that. And I expect once we get into construction, long days are going to become even longer. Buy a comfy couch, put it in the back corner of the facility and sleep there. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jason, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, before we wrap up here, why don't you hit him with the uh, website, social media, anything else you want to pass along? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, so you can find us at lionheartcider.com or um, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at lionheartcider. There you go. I really appreciate it. We're going to make some big changes now. I interviewed Jason Dayton out in the dining room. I interviewed Sarah Meyer, at, still at Tullaby, but we're in this side enclave thing in front of the ballroom. It's kind of a hallway, but it's not really a hallway. It's not really a room either. I don't know what this is, but we're going to talk in it starting right now. So since you've been drinking rosé since like 10 in the morning, now tell me about how <laughs> don't hilarious Don't say that out loud. <laughs> I do have a job and I get paid and it's a Wednesday, so it's not been since 10. Drinking is your job. Is drinking, drinking is not my your job, job, but drinking sparkling rosé is not my job. Drinking beer is my job. Okay, so you're di- diversifying diversifying your duties. You're testing the market to see how, how uh, wine and liquor do in comparison to the market of the beer world, right? Precisely. This is also way later in the afternoon in case my bosses are listening. I've not it's, been drinking rosé since all day. It is 1130 in the morning. <laughs> Stop. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I have had a sparkling rosé, so we'll see how it goes. Bubbles. Bubbles. <laughs> yeah, bubbles. Tell me about last year at All Pines North. You say you got into some trouble at the hotel. Oh, Lord. Last year at All Pines North. Last year at All Pines North. Uh, so it was my first year. I'd only been with the brewery about two months. And uh, we, you know, went out as a sales team, kind of, you know, been paddle. Luckily, we're in a market that also supports us very well. So we were in every single account that we could be in. And so, you know, Friday night was a good night. Uh, I had to get a, a the one cab in town, Merv, who's amazing. Um, I have a cell phone, personal cell phone, in case anybody needs it. Um but uh, the 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 night after, so the day after the fest, it was it was pretty intriguing. I gave some brewery owners of some very successful breweries uh, rides to parties, and uh, one specifically that was on the side of the road, miles away. That was uh, uh, which way hitchhiking? Which way? Where was he hitchhiking to? Was he, he was hitchhiking? hitchhiking to another brewery's party. Um. And uh, miles away, and I, I was heading back because I had to leave early the next morning. So I was keeping it pretty chill that day. And uh, I saw him uh, on the side of the road tra- flagging down rides <laughs> to get to this party. It's up north. Eh? Hitchhiking's still a thing up there. Uh, it shouldn't be anywhere. There's I listen to too many Hitch- true crime podcasts. Doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get you killed up there. It, you well, might you might actually end up someplace you wanted to go. And no well, and in this case, afterward, it's this it's case crazy. he got picked up and he got where he wanted to go. It was, <laughs> but yeah, all points was fun. Uh, it was a blast kind of being up there and seeing, you know, working for Ben Paddle and seeing the home base. 
is pretty cool. Like it can it can be a bit daunting. You feel like you're on you're on an island sometimes, just because you're surrounded by so many uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul breweries. And then you know you go up there and you see just the the brewery love fest that's happening up there, and everybody you know uh, maybe not doesn't get to bent paddle as often as they want to, but when they're up there, they're having a party, and it's amazing. It's just cool to see, like, your tap room packed with just all these really cool beer people and seeing how much how much they're loving it and how, you know, they're loving the beer and they're loving the atmosphere and they're loving everything. It's just, you know, it was, it was really, really amazing, and it, it uh, solidified that I am definitely working for the right, the right place and for the right people, so... Well, you guys know all the secrets. Is Alpines North is kind of it, it's on Bayfront Park in Duluth. It's kind of it's your our jam. Home game. Yeah, it's our jam. It's awesome. It's uh, say it's our jam. I've never said it's our jam. No, <laughs> who says it's our jam? You do. I do now. <laughs> <laughs> you just did. There's evidence. Uh, damn. Uh, yeah. No. It's it's uh it's pretty amazing. Like it's just being up there and being so close to the brewery and being so close to all of this stuff and seeing. You know, being able to bring the metro beer geeks and the beer fans and the, you know, the writers and the readers and everything like that and bringing them up and seeing what we can do is really, really awesome. It's just, there's nothing cooler, you know, and I, I equate it to, you know, like you've got, uh, you know, Indeed's huge party or Art World or whatever. That's a huge thing for Northeast and they, they, not only capitalize on it because they can, but they they make really great things out of it. And so it's really, really cool to see this market hang out in my home base. It's really rad. And then I get to, like, be that person like everybody else where it's like, hey, let's go take a tour. Or, hey, I've got, you know, let's go check out what's on the brewery taps. Let's go hang out in the cool room. I've got some cool stuff going on back there. I feel like the, the nice little though? bell of the ball, like, for a little bit, just for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you take them? Where do you take them? What do you do with them? What do you do with those While people we're at when the they brewery? all go up there? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many things to do. There's so many things to do. Like, you know, it's it's interesting now with festivals and things like that where, you know, you've got a lot of the fests that happen on around the cities. They're everywhere. They're, they're every everywhere. Weekend. And they're all weekend. Yeah, they're every weekend and everybody's involved. And, you know, now it's getting to the point where do we go to this one? Do we not go to this one? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? But, you know, five years ago, six years ago, when a lot of these fests started to get really popular... The brewers and the owners and, like, people who were a, a major foundation of these breweries were going to these festivals. And uh, now it's not really the case because there's so many of them and we have such an amazing support staff and support team that we don't have to go to these if we don't want to. And not everybody is always expecting us to. They're looking for what crazy beer we have on tap, not if the owner or the brewer is there. And the thing that I love about All Pints and is is that it's one of those fests it's the biggest one in the state it's massive and the brewers and the owners go like breweries take an entire staff up there they rent houses some of them aren't allowed to rent houses anymore they have to camp like there's it's been going on enough where where uh you know it's 10 to 15 people from each brewery go it's it's really really awesome to not only have a fest like that that we're a part of, but have it to be in our backyard. Just to catch listeners up, All Pints North, July 29th, Duluth, Minnesota. How many brewers are going to be there? How many people are going to be there? Oh, Do you Lord. know? Do you have a head count? I don't. I didn't head count because I had been drinking. Um, but anyone that you think is going to be there is going to be there. 
I mean, it's except uh, me. Except me, I. Ah, <laughs> like right, you next year. I There's keep always not next going. year. And You've got to. I grew stop up in that. Duluth, and well, that's like, the one I was going to go to this year. I haven't gone to any other beer fest. Well, it's silly because you can't find a you can't find a hotel for a decent price at this point, and you don't have to. I know my old man lives. We just like, literally need to get you a ticket. That's this is the silliest <laughs> thing we've ever talked about. <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. It's I, the one you have to go to because everybody's there. Ever, the owners of Indeed, owners of Fulton, owners of Ben Paddle, like the brewers, the head brewers, all of their sales team, all of like their staff, all uh, you know, all of these amazing breweries. The the people that make these breweries happen are there, and that's what's really really awesome. You know, it just is a you know, and everybody's supporting everybody. We're all going to each other's events. We're all buying each other beer. We're all. You know, it's not it's not a competitive weekend. It's a supportive weekend. How it's much a, that weekend cost you, just out of curiosity? You see me? you buying all these people beers, <laughs> and you still have to get a hotel room, or maybe rent a house, or camp, or however however you sleep up there. Well, it depends <laughs> all you know, right? I booked, uh, so last year was... Uh, as a uh, weird weekend because there was such the the there was the big giant uh, storm. Oh, that's yeah, that's why. So the huge storm. That's well, why. That's why. There's also <laughs> other. Reasons. There was a huge storm. Uh, most places were out of water and power. They're out of water. Water and, and power. Yeah. No, it was crazy. I was are, supposed are to they stay. Are not aware of that lake? Yeah. What are you saying? You just gotta go there, and everybody gets buckets, and it's just like the bucket line. Um, so I was supposed to stay at uh, one of the owners' houses, but they were out of water and power. And so last minute, I had to book a hotel at um, a family-friendly hotel that was not close to anything, really. And uh, there were bunk beds in my room that had, uh, it was like a unicorns on one and baseballs on the other. Uh, my window faced an indoor pool. Uh, so it, you had no concept of time, which is the worst thing when you are imbibing all weekend. Uh, so you wake up at three in the morning. It looks exactly the same as it does at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So when you have places to be, because I'm actually working this weekend, like I, I am. I'm going to places. I'm schmoozing. I'm you know helping out the brewery. I'm giving you know I'm doing. I'm representing the brewery, so I have to maintain some yeah, sort of semblance she's, of she's sobriety. Helping. She's helping. I'm helping. <laughs> I still am employed, and I have to maintain. Because I'm not going to embarrass myself on my own home turf. So I keep that in mind. At least that's the plan. That's always the plan. But, you know, Lyft and Uber are there now, so I can, you know, jet across. I don't know. We'll but see. you have such a good rapport with Merv. I know. It's Merv. I don't know. He's going to be so busy. I should give him. Yeah. Anyway, that's. I'll let you know. I'll give you a recap of all pints after because you're not going to be there. I'll tell you all about Merv and my conversations in the in the giant minivan. That, tell me about your last conversation in the minivan. What do you guys talk about when he's like? Coast, he was surprised that I had his top. private cell phone number, and then when I told he him, he didn't I know did, you had it. I didn't know I had you it. You are so creepy. <laughs> I didn't know. I got it from uh, I got it from uh, one of the uh, the brewers there, and uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get you a cab. You know, here's his number." So I, I got his private cell phone number. That's even weirder than you having my cell phone number, but messaging me on Facebook. It was easier. I was sitting there. <laughs> it was it was really convenient at the time because I was officing, which is a word in my in my own vernacular. Yeah, she was officing at another bar actually before coming over to Tullaby. That's the place with the uh, 10 a.m. rosé. Yeah, but I got I got a 
line, so life is good. <laughs> All right. I got a line out of it. She did cocaine, too. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, where are we going with this now? <laughs> we're going back up to Duluth because right. we're going to talk about what, what the local breweries up there and what the community can do up there to keep an event that big moving forward and getting bigger and bigger and maintaining its presence in the Midwest when there are so many up-and-coming festivals. What can you guys do to keep that momentum going forward? Like, how, well, how much bigger, better, badder can you be? Can you I get? Mean, the more the merrier up there, right? Like, people, people will say, you know, uh, are you threatened by the other breweries up there? You know, Castle Danger and Hoops and, and Blacklist. And it's like, no. We're, the more the merrier. The more... The more legit breweries that open up there the more the reason for people to go up you know people we're minneapolis and st paul is on you know on like draft magazine as like a beercation spot so this is where you know they send there here's a list of places you need to go bars restaurants liquor stores tap rooms like that's you know and that's awesome um but i don't have being based down in the metro i don't have uh the ability to set up somebody at a you know uh, set up a, a an account and where you know a lot of these breweries can be like hey yeah we'll set you up at a we'll set, we'll do a tap room tasting we'll close down for you we'll do a private tour for you guys we'll you know we'll hook you up we'll we'll do all of that I don't have that kind of capacity um, because I'm two and a half hours away which really isn't that far we are still local. Um, but it's nice. The, the more things to do up there, the more reason people have to come up, the better it is. You know, you want to, you, most people aren't going to be like, oh, well, there's one brewery up there that I really want to go to, but I'm going to go to that one brewery, and then what else am I going to do? There's a whole plethora of things to do. You've got Vikra Distilling, Hoops, uh, Blacklist, Castle of Danger, Ben Paddle. The restaurant scene up there is actually getting really legit. There is some good food up there. I mean, there's always been Northern good Water food Smokehouse up there. is. Oh my god, my I, I heard a rumor, and I, it's a rumor that they're coming down to Minneapolis, and I couldn't be happier. Smoked salmon, my friend. I haven't had that. Oh, yet. for days. I, I can't tried even to find it one time. I couldn't oh! find it. It's All right, next the... time I come, next time I go up, we just need to go up sometime. Like you just have to take well, me yeah, with you and, sh- and show me my <laughs> my town, which I apparently know nothing about. Apparently, I only know I only know that the two best cheeseburgers in the world are in Superior, <laughs> and one best of the best sandwiches well. in the world is in Gary New Duluth. I don't, I, I don't know what you're talking about, but I would. Northern Water Smokehouse Sandwich is amazing. Anyone. So we'll, you'll have to teach me, too. So we're going to just have to sandwich off. We're just going to have to sandwich off. I think so. Just got to sandwich off. <laughs> we, could do, we could do a touring podcast of everywhere we go. You're not stuttering. You, you stuttered like twice this whole time. <laughs> I just get, I get really excited about talking, and then I talk faster than the words will come out of my mouth. That happens to me a lot, and then too. My, and then my accent comes out a little bit. You're, you don't even have an accent. <laughs> You're from South Dakota. Like, what kind of accent do they oh, even have Oh, I don't know. There? My grandma has a pretty, like, oh, no. Okay, Sarah. Now, we were talking earlier. You said something kind of interesting. You said that tap takeovers don't have the significance that they used to well i suppose it, it kind of it, it depends on the market you're in right so 
you know, I was I was talking about my my family owns a bar in South Dakota, and they are doing a tap takeover, a tap invasion, four or five lines with a brewery, um, and it's the first one that's not only happened at my dad's bar, who is fairly craft heavy given the given the uh, uh, the neighborhood and the yeah, you know. I would say out of out of you know the twelve or so lines, ha- over half of them are craft, which is really interesting to see in the market that I grew up. Did you cause that? No, I think my cousin. So my cousin is my age, and and uh, he's also part owner, and I think he had a lot to do with it too. Okay, um, we are tempted to if I could just sell beer in my dad's bar in South Dakota, I'd be willing to sign a contract just to deliver beer to my hometown so I can have beer in my dad's bar. Um, I was talking to my dad, and he's super excited about it, and I think that they will in that bar with this tap invasion do really, really well. Um, Last time we talked, we talked. We, you know, I was talking about my my tap invasion at High V, and, and it you said was that was incredible. Incredible. You said Eight thousand people showed up. <laughs> it was a little less, but yeah, like give or take. Uh, it was insane. Like I couldn't. I, the The amount of support and the interest in the suburbs is amazing, which is just kind of showing that we haven't hit this quote-unquote bubble because there are still people that are intrigued by all of this you know i think in the metro specifically we may be a bit spoiled because we do have access to a lot of this stuff um oh, any any beer in the cities any specific you beer can you have want, whatever you, can you find want it. it's you know it's really not that difficult you know every you know now bars and restaurants are, are attached to untapped so you can look them up and see what they have you don't even have to you know you don't even have to walk in to see what they have you can look it all up online so you know and then you've got the uh, accessibility of all the tap rooms and everything that are essentially tap invasions and tap takeovers at their own place so it's the the it's a lot uh it, the the charm and the uh, exclusivity of those things is not what it used to be. So, um, you know, where where you're looking in the suburbs, they don't have specifically, like, super easy access to get to these places. Oh, no. There are so many suburbs in the Twin Cities that have barely been touched by, yeah. by craft beer. I and mean, that's, and you know, when, you know, that's my next kind of growth market. And with us specifically, too. It's like, we want to focus on the suburbs because... They, you know, they are relationship based. They want to work with people that they know. They want to know that the stuff is going to sell. They want to have the support where, you know, it's, it's, and, and that's a broad generalization for the Metro, but, you know, a lot of people just want to put on what's good or what's new or, you know, there's what's the price point or how well do I know this person? And you do a tap invasion where, you know, I, I go back to this specific moment when, uh, I opened up Republic Collins Square with Emily, and she had set up a, a release event for a brewery, and it was the first like official release. And they're not even like, I mean, they're 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 a decent brewery, but they're not like the big top. They're not a Surly, they're not an Indeed, they're not a Fulton, they're not a Ben Paddle, I'd say. But it was a release of a smaller brewery, and the place was packed, packed, packed. Like there was three lines on it, uh, three lines on, it, and it was just absolutely insane. There was probably 150 to 200 people there, um, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not over exaggerating. It was crazy. And now, you know, you do a tap invasion with a specialty keg, and and even, you know, even if you do a, a one of the really 
exceptional beers like Founders KBS, people aren't showing up for them anymore. Like, they just, you know, they're like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already got it on my untapped. It's fine. Like, it's a much more, it's a much more fickle market here than it is in the outstate where tap invasions still actually do something. They still care. They still want to meet the rep. They still want to do all of that that, you know, and, and this market, we're just, we're just a bit spoiled here, I think. And, and tap invasions, you have to be creative now. You've got to do something different. You've got to do something that kind of captures attention and, and just throwing four beers on tap and having posters made just isn't, isn't, isn't the punch that, that it used to make. It's, it's, it is the way it is. We all have to be far more creative in any sort of event we want to do. I just want to make a quick side comment of what oh, you God. mentioned about Untapped. It's kind of sick to think that there are people out there who will have a beer that they that they don't enjoy or won't enjoy over something that they love because it's already they've already got like the brand loyalty. It's the, impossible. The metal for it on Untapped. Yep, it's impossible. Brand loyalty is something that you know everybody wants to strive for because it is very very competitive and the market is not I, i'm not going to say saturated because it it is and it isn't the metro we have got a lot of a re- really amazing breweries out here uh there's a lot more breweries than there are handles like you know talking about off-premise liquor stores is a totally different kind of mentality and how we we manage those but when we're trying to get tap handles there's and and i say this kind of loosely because there is more cooler space then there are tap handles. So we, you know, go into some place that has six lines and there's a hundred plus breweries out there. What are they going to do? Who are they going to choose? How are they going to whittle down? Are they going to, you know, so, uh, I lost my train of thought. There are a hundred breweries out there you have six lines and you have to decide. Oh, I was talking about the saturated market. Uh, but who has only six lines anymore? Most people should. Really? I don't know. It goes back and forth. Like, you know, I talked to an account that has, you know, 20 lines, 24 lines, and then they're like, yeah, we want to add another 24 because there's so much great beer out there that we want to promote. It's like, yeah, I get that. But then you have to manage all that. But then you have to manage that. You have to go into, you know, half barrels, which is far more economical, to six barrels to keep everything fresh because you're not moving beer as fast. Because the more lines you have, the less beer you move on average. Like, you're still moving an insane amount of beer because you have that many lines, but you're not moving one product specifically. So when one place where I have 12 lines, I could move five kicks a week. Same beer, similar location and style. I have got one line, they've got 24, I'm moving eight keg a week. So, you know, you're you're not moving the product as quick because there's so much more options. It's like, you know, cheesecake menu. You look at the Cheesecake Factory menu, it's like a goddamn book. <laughs> so how many, how many steak sandwiches do you think they sell in a night? They might sell four or five. Exactly, that's it. Probably just four but or five how, steak sandwiches. You know, what, is that really worth bringing in that much steak or whatever it is to you know and i came from a place that has a lot of beer and and managing like and and watching how they've evolved and how you know they've kept up with the market has been really impressive and i mean i wouldn't be here without them with that knowledge and that that uh experience that i got from them and watching it happen you know like it was a lot of six barrels and then you have to start to price out appropriately because 
You have to, but you also have to price to move because you, you don't want to sit on product too long. You know, so it's uh, uh, it's interesting. You know, you start going back to tap invasions. You know, these people, you know, these accounts will bring in four or five half barrels of your beer. And if it doesn't move, then you're sitting on a partial. And I don't want, I want my beer to be in a place that moves, you know. So it just, you know, that's why everything just to be, needs to be more creative when it comes to putting this stuff together. Because people are bored with invasions in the metro. They just are. It's and uh, you know even tap takeovers, full tap takeovers, where you take over thirty lines, which very few breweries have the capacity to do, but there are a couple. And just kind of watching how it happens. And again, five years ago, I keep I like if I could just have a button that says five years ago, five years ago, five years ago, but those would have been the place would have been busy for days. It would have started to dwindle down as, like, the top, you know, the rarest specialty kegs were gone. And then you're stuck with these flagships, which are still great, but you're still not rotating through partial tapped kegs. And so it just doesn't have the appeal anymore. So now you need to be, like, all right, cool. Like, what can we do? Collab events, like, uh, charity events, uh, patio parties, uh, uh, you know, like, there's got to be something... Like, you know, when we do releases for bottles that are charity events, like, we bring the charity in, like, drink for a good cause kind of thing. Because now, just having four lines on doesn't do anybody any good. I don't know. It's just, the market The market is fickle and it's changing constantly. It's, it's intriguing. Well, hey, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Before we wrap up here, if you want to hit me with any uh, social media, any yeah. events coming up, yes. any web information, um, if you know any cabbies, phone numbers. Um, I do. I, he probably Facebook wouldn't Messenger. hate if I said it out loud, considering that Uber and Lyft are now their Facebook Messenger. I loved how you called me out on that, too. Like, do you not have my number? I was like, no, I do, but I'm sitting here officing, so I just, it's easier to just type it out. Officing. (laughs) It's a, I'm going to, it's a word. Like, it's, I don't care. Uh, Yeah, so I've got, um, I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up that I'm super excited about. So this small thing that I wanted to put together uh, to celebrate uh, the hardworking reps and and people in the industry uh, for a good cause has become something a little bit different, a little bit bigger, which is cool. I've got uh, Pat Grumpy's Patio Party for a Cause, which, like I said... Which initi- is a collab, a patio party, yeah. and a charity event. And a charity event. And silent auction items. There's so many so things. You kind of hit the cycle and on all... everything you said you have to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you like it's, it's no joke when I say you have to do something different to get people involved now. You know, people, people are really interested in craft beer in the market, and they really... They're, they're still intrigued by the whole thing. They still buy it, and they still want to be involved in the community but you know it's it's you know keeping things interesting which you know with any long-term relationship we all know that you got to keep it a little interesting so doing the same thing every day is going to be stale and and so uh to go back uh grumpy's patio party for our cause had started uh with me initially wanting to get a bunch of beer people together uh to kind of celebrate each other, have our beer on tap, buy each other a beer, uh, bring in a charitable component to it. And, um, 
you know, get together, hang out for a cause. And so we are finally putting together. Uh, it is going to be in a couple weeks. It's uh, August 9th at Grumpy's Downtown from 3 to 9. We've got 10 breweries put together. They're all bringing something super cool. Uh, all the reps are going to be there. So your 10 reps, uh, are they're all breweries that you want to hang out with. We've got Surly, Bauhaus, Modest, Bells Point. Like We've got a, a Northgate Ferris Day. We've got a really cool lineup happening and i've i've missed four and i'm sorry that i haven't said it out loud that's okay um fulton's gonna be there <laughs> so uh you know we've got we've got the players that that really wanted to participate which was really rad they're all bringing kegs and then they're all donating silent auction items all the proceeds will go towards the sheridan story which is a really really cool charity that supports kids that going to that are going to school that maybe the only meal they get is at school so uh it just money towards getting them food to take home for the weekends or for night you know like there no 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 more shaming for things like that it's it's get together and support our community for a good cause and use our craft beer clout i guess or or our following to bring some awareness to this charity and and also have a good time hanging outside, drinking some beer and and uh, supporting just you know Ballast Point is gonna donate a longboard you know you you get to leave with a really cool longboard you're spending whatever money on it but that money is going towards this charity. Fun fact about longboards: if you hit somebody with one, it hurts. <laughs> fact. I can see that being a fact. I can see that not being an alternative fact, but like a real fact. Real fact. <laughs> real fact. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean... Get, you won't get information like that on Fox News. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, those are the kind of events that, that are bringing people in, uh, using social media to make a change. And, you know, we're, we're all hardworking people that really want to make a difference in our community. So uh, there is a Facebook page trying to loop it up with grumpies right now but if you follow at she sells bp beer on both uh facebook or i'm sorry instagram and twitter at uh ben paddle beer on instagram and twitter and at ben paddle beer on or uh, just ben paddle beer on facebook you'll see the you'll see the event page and uh just come it's gonna be awesome and that concludes another episode of the Minnesota Skinny. Thanks again to Jason Dayton, and thank you, Sarah. Thank you, as always. If you want to find more quality podcasting, high quality, low quality, you be the judge, you can find the <laughs> Minnesota Skinny on almost everywhere you get your podcasts. From uh, iTunes, you Subscribe. can... You can find it on SoundCloud for now. I think SoundCloud has like three employees left, but it exists for now. <laughs> and uh, other uh, fine podcast mediums. I will be back next week with a new show, but until then... Make good decisions until Friday night, then make bad decisions until Monday, and always remember what our good friend John Lennon told us. The time you enjoyed wasting was not wasted. Stay cool out there. <laughs>